Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. This is our second week of our series entitled How to Be Rich. And this morning, we're going to unpack what might be one of the most important topics related to wealth and generosity, because we really will talk about the ultimate battle for your soul and for its true allegiance. And this is a really important time for us to come together and start to talk about some of these issues. This is our second week. How many of you were here last week? Very cool. Not so bad. About half. Not, you know, the nine o'clock, they were all here last week. I'm just saying. And the 12 o'clock, they haven't been here in weeks. So you guys are like in the middle. So I like that. So last week when we kicked off this series, we talked about the biblical call that we have to generosity, that it's actually part of Christian love that we should be known for is the desire and the ability to be generous without any thought or need for repayment. Because if you're generous to someone else, hoping that they will in turn be generous to you, that's not generosity at all. It's actually just business. But instead, we want to learn to be generous, being reminded that Jesus Christ left behind the riches of heaven to come here to earth to give us the free gift of eternal life. And we learn that generosity from him to show that generosity to others. This morning, we pivot a little bit and we start to talk about how to be rich here and now. So I started to dig into the U.S. Census data. That's really fun to read. And I wanted to see the highest counties for median income in the country. Do you know which metro area has the highest number of these counties? Any guess? New York is a good guess. It's not it. Los Angeles is not it either. It's not San Francisco. Top three are all from the D.C. area. Loudoun County, Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia, Howard County, Maryland. Top three. Number four is Hunterdon County, New Jersey. Five, back to D.C., Arlington, Virginia. Six, Stafford County, Virginia. Seven, Putnam County, New York. It's the first New York county to make the list. Putnam is the first county north of Westchester. So once you make all your money in the city, you move to Westchester. Once you're too rich for Westchester, you move to Putnam. Eight is Somerset County, New Jersey. Nine, Douglas County, Colorado. I don't know how they made this list. I don't know what they're smoking. Actually, I, I do know. Ten, Morris County, New Jersey. Eleven, Montgomery County, Maryland. Twelve, Prince William County, Virginia. Thirteen, Nassau County, New York. Number 13 in median income in the entire nation. Fourteen is Santa Clara, California. That's the Facebook guys. And 15, Charles County, Maryland. So out of these top 15 counties for median income, nine of them are clustered around the Washington, D.C. area. So if you're starting to wonder what is happening in American politics, we now know the answer. They don't know how to be rich. 
They're all there locked in selfless public service, apparently. <laughs> Highest median income. But Long Island, Nassau County was 13. Suffolk, by the way, is number 22 in the nation. So being 13, there are 3,142 counties in the U.S. So that puts us in the 99th percentile for median income. We're not so good at, at being rich. And so we need to talk about this because for our church to be here in this area and not talk about wealth would be the same as if we planted a church in Las Vegas and we weren't willing to talk about gambling. It is the dominant issue that surrounds us and defines our culture today. So I'm excited to dig into this. You know, wealth has side effects. You ever thought about this? People want to be wealthy, but there are dangerous side effects that come with wealth. And the first one is this. First side effect is denial. People are never really convinced that they are rich to begin with. So there was a Gallup poll taken of all Americans. And if you combine together all Americans, they view rich as being a salary of 150000 a year. That's the aggregate of the whole nation. But if you take a subset of people who earned 30000 a year, they will tell you that to be rich is to earn 75000 per year. Or if you pull the readers of Money Magazine, a financial publication, they will tell you that to be rich means you have $5 million of liquid assets. So who's right? Who's rich? 75000 150000 $5 million. I actually want to talk to these readers of Money Magazine. I want to talk to a reader of Money Magazine who has only $4,500,000 cash on hand and say, how are you making it? Do you need us to help you? See, there's this denial that comes with being rich because it's a moving target. Once you start to approach being rich, you realize you're definitely not there yet and you have to keep moving. So the result is nobody is actually rich, but everybody knows somebody who is rich. So the good news for you today, you are probably not rich, which means the person next to you is so when you leave here today and you're about to go out to lunch, that is who you should invite. Okay, they will probably pay. No one's really sure what this concept of being rich looks like, and we, we never really feel like we've arrived. But remember, if you earn more than 40000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. If you earn more than 48000 a year, you're in the top 1% of all wage earners in the world. So the majority of the families in our community are in the top 1% in the world and live in the top 1% county in the country. So you might deny that you're rich, but I think you might be getting there. So we want to really start to unpack how we can live God's way with these riches. The second side effect is that of discontentment. Being rich comes with it a sense of discontentment. And it's a little bit hard to put a finger on it first because you would think that richness would cause contentment. But it doesn't. And here's one reason. Being rich is actually an appetite. And when you feed an appetite, it doesn't become suppressed. It actually grows. So if you think about it, if you were to eat a large portion at every meal, soon that portion feels normal to you and you can move on to an even larger portion 
and so on and so forth. And as you feed an appetite, it will continue to build. Now, of course, you can use this characteristic sometimes to help yourself grow. You know, hopefully you have an appetite for the scripture. Hopefully the more you read it, the more you want to read it. Same for prayer. You could think of the same for uh, good nutrition or exercise or so on and so forth. But being rich is an appetite. So as you feed this appetite, you will become hungrier. And that leads to a sense of discontentment. It's part of that denial that the, the moving target of richness is always out of your reach. You can't quite grab it. But if you're not sure what I mean by discontentment, let's use a different word. Instead of talking about discontentment, let's talk about upgrades. Being rich is all about upgrades. Because as you acquire more things, as your appetites grow, then you acquire even more things or even nicer things, and you continue to move on. In fact, it's this lifestyle creep why you might make more money than you did five years ago, but have less in your pocket. Because as you make more, your desires grow because of upgrades. Now, there are a lot of these upgrades. None of them have ever happened to you. These are just random examples that e exist out there in the world. Most of these are Andy Stanley's examples, actually, so they're probably only people who live in the South. But, for example, I have heard there are people who will go into their kitchen. Their kitchen has cabinets. It has a countertop. It has appliances. I have heard that they will rip all of that out and put in different cabinets and countertops and appliances to have an upgrade. So this happened to me, and <laughs> we got a new dishwasher, okay? Our dishwasher was leaking. We've been in the house over a decade, same dishwater, dishwasher. We felt fully justified to upgrade the dishwasher. I mean, what other excuses do you need? So we bought a dishwasher, and the new dishwasher, the upgrade, it's terrible. It, uh, there's just this one thing that it can't do. Yeah, wash the dishes. <laughs> the dishes come out dirty. So we're going, what is the problem? So it's under warranty. So we've had our second technician come to the house. This guy comes. I'm not making this up. He hooks a laptop up to my dishwasher to see what's happening. At the end of which, he tells us, I'm sorry, but your dishwasher needs a new computer. My dishwasher has a computer. <laughs> that apparently is stupid. Like, I don't understand what's happening. This is our upgrade. Wasn't cheap, now it's under warranty, so don't worry, we're fine. But this was our upgrade. It's been a lot of hassle. I kinda wish we would've just fixed the old one. I have also heard there are people who will drive in their car, their car that still runs, still drives, they will actually drive it into a car lot, they will park it. Then they will go inside the building, they will add to their car more money or a contract to pay even more money to both the car dealer and the bank so they can drive away in a different car. I know none of you have ever done this because it just doesn't even make sense, but there are people who will do this. They'll take one car that still runs and say, I know, but on my old car, the backup camera was very small. It was hard to see. <laughs> I did not have heated seats or remote start. I was really struggling, really. I was having a hard time. So some people will upgrade their car. I have also heard that people will take their phone. They'll have a phone that's so nice that they can not only call people, but they can text people. They can even take pictures with their phone, which is like a modern miracle. They will take that phone because it will only hold a charge for four hours instead of six. They will go, they will spend $1,000, which is $41.66 a month for 24 months. 
so they can have a new, better phone. But these new phones, they do important new features. I mean, if you don't get the new phone, you will not have this new feature. Well, I declare, this may be the most useful iPhone feature ever. If you can't do an emoji, who even are you? I mean, these upgrades are critical. I have also heard there are people who will sit in front of their closet, their closet which is stuffed with clothes, and they will look at it and they will say, I have nothing. Oh, you've heard this. Okay, I'm glad. You've, I'm sure you've never said it, but you've heard other people say it, right? Their closet which is stuffed. I cleaned out my closet yesterday, and I use that term loosely. I really just disor uh, reorganized it because it had gotten disorganized, and I found shirts I forgot I even had. I don't think I've worn this shirt in like a year. I was like, hey, that's cool. It was still in the plastic from the, you know, the dry cleaner out on iron. So I'm like, upgrade. So <laughs> I'm like, wow. But then you finally dig deep into your closet and you realize, you know, actually, some people have work clothes, work out clothes, going out after work clothes, staying in after work clothes, and work in the yard clothes yet they have nothing to wear. These upgrades, they can pull us in, and very soon you're, you're very discontent with where you are in life. But Paul points to an even greater risk, and we're going to study a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. You can turn there if you want. We're going to spend most of our time in this one verse because it's very rich, it's very deep, it's very powerful. It starts this way. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. And the context here matters because St. Paul is writing the letter to Timothy. So it's a seasoned leader talking to a young leader about how to conduct an effective ministry in a rich metropolitan area. So this is really great for us to hear because it's kind of like shop talk. They're talking in the background saying, listen, here's what you need to teach on. So this really has our attention. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Again, you might not be rich in this present world, but you know someone who is. Okay? So he could say anything. What is he going to say to us? First thing he says, command them not to be arrogant. You might have picked this up on your own. But so often people who are wealthy, there's a sense of arrogance that can come with that. A sense of self-importance. A sense of me before you. With wealth comes prestige. With prestige comes priority. With priority comes arrogance. He's saying be very careful not to be arrogant. Because somehow we start to assign our personal value to our wealth and to tie the value of other people to their perceived wealth. And here's why that doesn't make any sense. Of all the factors that we've talked about today about why you might quite possibly be rich, they actually all boil down to one factor. When and where you were born. You were born here and now. That is most of the reason that you have wealth. And I know that's not what they told you in business school. It's not what they told you in law school. It's not what they told you in medical school or conservatory or whatever school you're still paying off. When you were there, they were telling you, you need to achieve because when you achieve, you're going to make more money. But they're only talking about slivers and gradations of that final 1%, right? 
Now, I'm not, I'm not calling you out and saying it's not worthwhile, but let's just remember what we're talking about. You're talking about how to get to the top part of the upper section of the 1%. That is what we're talking about. So when you start to assign you know, anyone's value to their wealth, the logic breaks down so quickly because it's based on factors that are completely out of our control. It has nothing to do with that you're you know, good-looking, talented, or nice to be around. It really has to do with when and where you came from. But he goes on to so much more. He says, uh, he also says, command them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And this is where we really starting to go deep. Because Paul is starting to call out one of the most important battles that can ever take place within your soul. Because the wealthy have a tendency to put their hope in their own wealth. This word hope that he's talking about is a leaning in. It's a reliance. It's a security that comes from our wealth. The richest man who ever lived, King Solomon, he said in Proverbs 18, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. That the wealthy view their wealth as a wall, protection. This is what is going to keep them safe. This is what's going to keep threats away. And start to think about that for a minute because you might have fallen into this thinking. Have you ever tried to figure out how much money you need to make? Not just for your monthly budget, but have you ever done like retirement planning or long-term planning and started to figure out, this is how much I need to make. So you think, well, I would love to pay for college two or three times if I could. That'd be nice. I'm going to need to pay for one wedding outright and probably chip in on the other two. Um, I'd love to retire. Maybe I can help my kids with a down payment. I need to also keep in mind my parents might need help. And, you know, my wife's brother, he's going to need help for sure. And down the line you go and you just start to figure out this is how much money I need. And the longer you think about that, the more things you're going to think of that you need. And you will always realize that your wall is not high enough. You're not fortified enough. You're not protected enough. Because as long as you're trusting in your wealth, in your wall, it's never going to be enough. Last week, we talked about the fact that statistics are very clear that the more money a person makes, the less of it they give away. Economically, that makes no sense. Economically, if a person is not making a lot, they should keep it all because they need it. And then as a percentage, as you make more, people should be giving more and more away. And so that you reach a certain point that this is literally all you could ever need and everything above that just gets given away. That's what makes sense if you study the numbers. None of that is what happens in reality. Here is why. If a person is trusting in their wealth, their wealth has become their hope. And when you talk to them about giving away their wealth, they're actually giving away their hope. How difficult is it to give away your hope? That's, that's excruciating. It really is. So if your wealth is not your hope, you know, especially if you don't have very much of it, you think, hey, can I have your money? Sure. It doesn't mean that much to me. But when it becomes your hope, then you will dig in for all you have because you need, always need more protection. You always need more health. You always need more fortification. And he goes on. He says, not just the negative of don't put your hope in your wealth. He says, but to put their hope in God. And here's when you realize what the stakes are. 
Because once we're willing to put all of our hope into our wealth, we've pulled our hope, we've removed our allegiance, we've extricated our highest value from God and given it to wealth. This is the most important battle that exists for your soul today. Jesus talked more about wealth than heaven and hell combined, and this is why. Wealth is the chief rival for the allegiance of your soul with God himself. If you study Matthew 6, Jesus talks about no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. It's this tension of understanding that you are only going to show the highest loyalty to one of those two vantages. We have to put our hope solely, completely, only in the person of Christ and never into wealth. That's easier said than done. You know, wealth will clamor for attention. You know, wealth will make itself visible in the people that you know, and the people that you love. It's what they talk about. But learning to put God absolutely first at the highest vantage. You know, you talk to people at the end of their life and they always get this. You know. No one on their deathbed talks about making more money. No one on their deathbed talks about investments. They talk about they want to make things right with God. Well, if we're going to trust God at the end, how much better to trust him in the middle? To give this ultimate allegiance to him and him alone. So ask yourself, which would scare you more if you said there is no God or you have no money? Which scares you more? Some of you, if you can convince yourself there is no God, you'll feel relief. You can finally do whatever you want. That will tell you a lot about where you're looking to for protection and for hope. Which one of these phrases will scare you more? There is no God or you have no money. This is the allegiance that we're talking about. But luckily for us, Paul brings it back around just a little. At the very end, he says, once you put your hope in God, remember, he richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. And this is very, very telling for our culture. Because what he doesn't say is, command those who are rich in this world to not be rich. He doesn't actually say that. A lot of people have taken that approach. A Catholic priest will take a vow of poverty because he never wants to have this battle in his heart. There's no wealth to even think about. My allegiance is only to God and God alone. This has also been a standard policy for monasteries. When you would come in, you would renounce all your worldly possessions so you could simply focus on God. And that's probably a very effective strategy. It's probably not going to work for you, though. To just renounce all worldly possession, renounce private property, just become a ward of the state. No. Instead, it's a repositioning of the gifts of God. He's saying, you know, God has given you gifts for your enjoyment. But it's the relationship between them that is critical. Do we understand that the gift comes from him? Or do we let the gift distract us from him? Jesus had a half-brother named James. He said it this way, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. These gifts are from him. But imagine if you could, as much as we're able to, from the perspective of God, that God would shower upon us gifts and wonderful things, and the result of which is we say, Oh, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm so busy so distracted. So we always want to pull our attention back to God, away from the gifts, understanding that he gave the gifts 
to us. And I think if you took away one thing today, it would be this axiom. Say, I will not trust riches, but in him who richly provides. Will you say that with me? I will not trust riches, but in him who richly provides. This time with feeling. I will not trust riches, but in him who richly provides. It's a small distinction, but it means everything. That we make sure he has our highest allegiance and devotion. Well, throughout this series, we're trying to create practical steps where we can all grow in learning how to be rich. And every single week, there's going to be a challenge to overcome because that's how you grow. You overcome challenges. So all of you who were here last week, you know that our first challenge is straight up, give more money. Okay? That's challenge number one. But remember, we're not trying to reinvest anything that you're doing into Beacon. That's not the point of this series at all. The point of this series is only reconditioning all of our souls. And so in all of our challenges, we're simply going to give away as a church this from the same sense, how to be rich even as a congregation. So when we say give more money, we're actually challenging you, if you would, to give $29. I think Robert said $29.95. Uh, $29 for each adult. And we're going to give all of that money to the Nassau County Agency for Foster Care. There are children in our community who need love, who need care, who need support. We're going to collect all of that money and we're going to give it to them. They have some ideas for projects they already want to do. But we're just going to motivate them even more. So the good news is on the first Sunday we had 184 people respond. Which is very cool. I would love to see that go higher. I think we could easily push 250. I would love to see you jump into this. The average gift has been higher than $29, so you're doing even better at reaching our financial goal. But remember, that's not the point. The point is that each one of us is willing to recondition our hearts. The only way to learn to be generous is to actually exercise the muscle of generosity. So today we have our second challenge. So ushers, you can go ahead and hand out those handouts if you would. Band, why don't you guys come up and strap into. I want to challenge you. This is even harder. I almost feel bad saying it. We want to challenge you to give more time. Now, if you're anything like me, you don't want to do this. You'd rather give double the money and none of the time because it's easier for the wealthy, okay? I would love to see you give more time. So the challenge is this. We are asking you to give away, completely give away, one hour between now and December 2nd. One hour. Okay, December 3rd is when we start our Christmas series. So between now and then, you need to give away one hour. Here are some ideas for some amazing agencies in our county that could use your help. You could help the New York City Relief Bus. You could help the Inn, which is an interfaith nutrition network that literally feeds homeless people. You could volunteer at Soundview Pregnancy Service. You could volunteer at the Bowery Mission. Greg's actually going to lead a Bowery event on the Friday after Thanksgiving. We still need some more people, right? So that'd be great. You could do that one. We have um, food drive, stocking drive, and adoption day. Those are the third and fourth challenges. We're going to need help organizing the third and fourth challenges of Be Rich. You can also be part of the Long Island Volunteer Care Center, Brandywine Living. But listen, I would also love for you to be creative. Think of something interesting and unique for how you can completely give your hour away. You know, maybe you know a family in your town that has way too many kids. Go to their house for an hour, kick them out, and watch all their kids. Hang out with them for an hour, right? Wear a helmet, you'll be fine. 
You know, maybe there's a park near you that's a mess. Just go down there with a bag and a rake. You'd be surprised the dent you could make in an hour. Maybe there's someone on your block that you know is lonely or you know isn't well-liked. Have them over for coffee. There's so many other things that you could do. Be creative. Be interesting and unique. We would love for you to report back what you did. So text the word time to our phone number that we use. You'll get the shortest little form. It's your name, it's how many hours, and it's what you did. And you can easily fill out your form in 30 seconds. We really want to know how you are investing this hour to just simply give it away. And you know, some people, when they're giving away money or they're giving away time, you can easily get lost in kind of this like eternal and forever consequence, like am I really doing something of value or of worth? Remember, the point of your hour isn't what you did. The point of your hour is the decision you made here in your heart to do something for others. Does that make sense? So don't overthink it. Do something cool, do something kind, give an hour. A lot of these opportunities here are more than an hour. You know, if you go to the New York City Relief Bus, it's about a half a day. It's amazing, though. Some people in my family did it. It's, it it'll change your life. I would love to see you give away this hour and see what God can do with it. So why don't you stand? We're going to continue to worship here together this morning. We'll sing together. We'll receive the elements of Holy Communion, and we'll just be reminded of the call that God has in our hearts to be generous. Thank you.